So now we will talk about the seeds of the universe that exist within the self and from which the entire universe manifests and which are also the basis of all yogic and tantric practice that relates to changing our energy. So the first thing that must be clear is that yes, indeed, when we look into yogic scripture, then the universe is seen as having manifested out of the self. This has in previous talks sometimes caused a little bit of confusion. But so, just to be clear on it, yes, the universe, we ourselves as individuals in that way, even our ego, is or manifesting out of the self. It cannot be otherwise. The self is the only absolute reality. If the universe would somehow not manifest out of the self, then that means it would exist by itself. Which means that the universe would be a reality by itself. But that is exactly not where we stand in non-dual understanding, no. We see the universe as an illusion. But this illusion is still originating with the self. And why is this confusion a little bit there? It is because, of course, when we want to find the self, when we want to connect to the self, then we need to remove our attention from the universe. So that is why we feel, okay, the universe can have nothing to do with the self. Because whenever we want to seek the self, we kind of have to shut out the universe and there find that pure beingness, no? that pure consciousness, that bliss. So, but, yeah, that is the practice. But if in that practice then, again, after maybe meditating and being there centered in our pure beingness, if then again we open our eyes and we look at the universe and we feel that this universe is somehow let's say, disturbing our feeling of the self, then that means that we still have work to do. When inside we really find the self, where inside really we can join, we can merge with this pure beingness, then when we open our eyes, all that we see is the self. We see it in everyone and everything. And we truly see also this universe as a manifestation of the self, which is then often called a lila, a game. It is an illusion, but it originates with the self. So then the self is experienced inside manifestation, both as outside manifestation. No? The self is not affected by the universe. It is always unchanging, always existing outside of the universe, but also totally inside the universe, it is there in everything we find. Now, when we say that the self is like an ocean, then we as individuals, we can say we are like waves upon the ocean. 
And the most common mistake that people, of course, make is that as a wave, they rise up and they feel they are separate from the ocean. They believe in their individuality, you can say, and they believe, oh, I'm really somebody. Only, of course, for the next moment, this wave to again disappear into the ocean and that individual to be lost. No? So that is the most common mistake. That's why we always, you know, in non-duality have to point people towards the ocean. Because they are only, like you can say, mesmerized by the waves. No? But another mistake that is also then made once people enter non-duality, once they kind of get to know this ocean, is that they no longer see these waves as manifestations of the ocean, as things that naturally belong to an ocean. An ocean will always make waves. So in that way, the self creates the universe, creates all these individuals, creates all these stories, creates this lila. It is an integral part of it. No? But so then, in Tantrika Advaita, we very much try to understand how that happens. Because, of course, that is really quite a magical thing. No? How can from the self, which is like a nothingness, like an invisible cloud, how can this whole universe manifest with all these different kind of energies and these different kind of forms? No? And that is why we point to the seeds of the universe that are there within the self, because like in a seed, we cannot find a tree. If you open the seed, you will not find like a tree inside, but still we know that from the seed, a tree comes. So the same way when we look into the self, we cannot find the universe there, but we can find the seed of the universe there. And actually we find three seeds there, the three seeds that again relate to such chit and anandam. So, the chit aspect of the self is that knowing that consciousness beyond words, right? From there, what comes out is silence. No? If we define the chit as consciousness, we still have to differentiate it from other kinds of consciousness that we find, for example, in thinking and in speaking and in writing and all that. These are all expressions, you can say, of consciousness. But the pure consciousness of the self is in that way different from all these other forms of consciousness because it is silent. It knows, it is conscious, it is a witness, but it does not speak. It is silent. So that silence is the most essential aspect of chit. And so that silence is like a sound. It is often called the unstruck sound or the sound of one hand clapping. And it is definitely also that sound maybe that we can hear in a cave. And then everybody will say, oh, listen, do you hear that silence? And of course, nobody can hear silence. Because silence is not a sound. But still we experience it as a sound. And that is where then Vedic and Tantric scripture both are explaining that because the self is silent, it holds the potential of sound. Like in a cave, 
you listen to the silence and you're still you know, trying to hear something. Precisely because silence is there. So in that way, from the silence of the self comes sound. This is the first thing that comes out and uh, creates manifestation. You can say is like the Big Bang or something. No. Uh, we will go a little bit more deep into that too. So, and then the second aspect of the self is Sat, is this pure beingness. And again there, if we say the self is pure beingness, we have to differentiate it from other things which also are existing, no? are being, such as, okay, our bodies and plants and animals and, and stones and houses and all these things, they also exist. So what there differentiates Sat as the self from other things that exist is that this existence is formless. It is like a void, as I said, like an invisible cloud. That is what makes it different. It is like an emptiness. No? But again there, just like the silence has the potential of the sound, the emptiness has the potential of some kind of space, some kind of shape. In, 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 in many different ways. No? Like, let's say you meet an invisible man you're still going to think, oh, how does he look? No? <laughs> Automatically, no? because you don't see a form, but something is there. You are wondering about what is the form. So that seeing of the formless creates in you the potential for the form. Or put in a different way, if we take the number zero, no? which represents yeah, something which is nothing. No, which is what the self is. The self is something, but at the same time is nothing, because it has no form. Now, also in maths, we cannot define the number zero if there is no other numbers involved. We can only say zero means nothing, because another number means something. So the nothing always has the potential of something. The void space, you can say, of the self, has the potential of containing something, of having a certain shape. So in that way, from Sat, from the pure beingness, from the void of the self, manifests space. And with space, all kinds of then shapes and so on, we'll go a little bit further into that too. And then last we have the Ananda, the bliss of the self. And the bliss of the self is different from any other, let's say, good feeling that we might have, in the sense that it is unchanging. No feelings we have a lot and very good ones too, but they change all the time. They are never stable. They always seem to pulsate. But that is very particular about the bliss of the self. It is never changing. When I find the bliss of the self now and I compare it to the bliss of 10 years ago, then it is still the same. It has not changed. It has not altered in any way. It has not become less. It has not become more. It has not changed color. It is always the same. That same feeling is there. So because that bliss is never changing, it is timeless. So the Ananda aspect of the self actually constitute the timelessness 
of the self. And precisely because the self is beyond time, never changing, it has the potential of change and time. And in that way, it is also very much related to life. Because life is that which brings change. And then we can say, okay, life in terms of our lives and the lives of plants and animals, but we can also talk in the sense of life of, okay, galaxies and planets and stars and, and all these things. They also have a life because they go through certain changes. No? Everything in the universe in that way is alive because everything is there ever changing. So the life force is really the very power of change and directly manifesting out of the bliss of the self, out of that energy, no? that, that good feeling uh, of the self. So you can say, yes, the bliss of Ananda is the eternal now, no? the timelessness from which time and change and life originates. So these are the three seeds of the self. And when we look at techniques that are being taught by teachers that predominantly teach non-duality, then we can also see that most of these teachings will point us towards these seeds of the self because these are direct entries into the feeling of the self, into the experience of the self. And there, no, when we look at the power of timelessness or now, no, then very famously, of course, the power of now is there as one way to always find the self back, to forget about yesterday and whatever unpleasantness that brought, no, to forget about tomorrow, to just be in the now. It brings us there to that unchanging, unfluctuating bliss of the self. Likewise, other teachers will mostly focus you on your beingness, your presence, it is often called, no? as another entry into the self which brings you to Sat. No? This existence which is without attachment. No? The moment form is there, then some attachment is there. Then we focus no? instead of on I am that or I am this, I am young, I am old, I am good, I am smart, I am good looking, whatever. No? We drop all that and we focus purely on the I am, on the pure beingness, no? on the present. And then the third, of course, is where we change our consciousness by focusing on yeah, awareness itself, on that which is beyond thinking. And so basically there you know, we try to stop our thoughts one way or another, you know, maybe using different techniques, okay, but uh, that is the main third entryway into the self, you know, through the seat of the self of Chit. So we see that, and as I said before, if that is enough, if just by going to the now or your presence or your wordless consciousness, your inner silence, if that works for you, okay. If not, also okay. Then, you know, you have something more to work with. Because as these seeds manifest into the universe, 
they also create beautiful gateways with which we can find back, regenerate the energy of the self and also in a way then be able to maintain it. The Lotus of the Manifesting Self, which is in a way quite similar to the earlier image, but where I have a little bit separated various words in Sanskrit on one side, in English on the other side, to make it a little bit more clear. But so there, the circle in the center, that is truly the self, no? which is then divided by the triangle of our perception, no? because the self is, of course, beyond any kind of divisions. No? The triangle of our perception, which can see the self more from the point of view of consciousness, more from the point of view of beingness, or more from the point of view of bliss. And so there we see from Chit, from the pure consciousness, from the inner silence, that is no? so differentiating the self as pure consciousness from any other kinds of consciousness, the emergence of sound. And in Sanskrit I have translated this as Om, because Om is seen as the most yeah, primary sound, the first sound, the sound of creation. And, of course, we have to be clear here that this is just a human way to express this sound. No? Because, okay, who knows how the Big Bang sounds like. No? <laughs> a little bit hard. And uh, Om, actually, the beautiful power that Om has is simply because it is the most simple sound that a human mouth can make without any tension in the lips. No? Any other sound you make, always there is more of a tension in the lips. But if we say OM in the right way, which is not O, O, well, here a lot of tension is there, O, no? When we say O, and then coming by closing the mouth, no? Then that is the correct way to say OM. And so this O, Without any tension, just the mouth is open, that's all. No? Oh. No? You can say that is the sound that we as humans can make with our mouth, which is the most harmonious, which has the least tension, because in the lips there is no tension. Actually, if you look in scripture there, the Primordial sound of creation is actually not named Om, it is named Visarga, which uh, I am now just saying as a word, Visarga, but actually is not a word, it's more like a guttural sound. Um, so uh, let's not be fooled by that. But so basically, no, from the silence of the self, manifest the sound as the sound of creation. And of course, then from that first sound, all other sounds come. Like we can say from Om come all other seed sounds, no? And seed sounds are, are many, no? The whole science of Sanskrit is based on the understanding of the seed sounds. And so we have ring, shring, ring, which all have particular sound qualities. And these particular sound qualities are very interesting because they will affect our emotions most strongly, no? 
And so that is where we then find a lot of practices that are related to sound, from Om to the chanting of mantra to the use of seed sounds in a variety uh, of ways, to the chanting of bhajans and other things uh, together, to also, of course, other expressions of sound using musical instruments, shamanic drumming, all these things. They all have the same power. The power to subdue any negative emotion, let's say, any unpleasant emotion, they will reduce it. That is their great power. And they help you to find the silence inside. No, because it is the emotion that makes it so very difficult. No? If we don't feel any unpleasant emotion, if we are quite okay, then very easily we can bring silence inside of us. But if a disturbing emotion is there, it is very difficult. So then we use sound to change that emotion, as I was explaining before, and uh, there generate silence inside of us. And there no, we are then back with the origin of the sound, with the chit, which is uh, that one aspect uh, of the self. If then we look at sat, the void beingness of the self, so from there, space, shape, form, manifest. From the formless, the form manifests, I would say, in endless diversity. We have there the whole signs of these five elements that I was explaining that Shankara, the founder of Advaita Vedanta in a way, was also talking a lot about it. How from the subtle element of space, which is named Akash, is no, through further densification uh, created air, created fire, created water, created earth. And the mixture of these five actually constitutes whatever we can see <laughs> and experience no? in, in, in the manifested universe. No? From there all the stars come, from there all the planets come, from there all the bodies come. Uh, we are all uh, in that way uh, children of this mother matter of space, you can say. No? Space is like a big mother to us and it is in the womb of space that we are all born no? as bodies, as individuals. And this space, like a mother, I would say, has a very particular quality of unconditional love, which is also often translated as unity in diversity. We just have to look in nature to, to see that. No? In nature, everything has its place in space. <laughs> the very beautiful way, I think, to express this. No? From a more environmental point of view, you can say that every species has its ideal habitat. No? And okay, if you are a rabbit and you're walking around in a habitat of wolves, then okay, something might happen. No, That is the nature no, of things. Uh, it is not because the mother loves us unconditionally that we can do just anything. No, she gives us the space that we need. No? She gives that, that place that is most suited for us. So in that way also, working with the elements whether it is on our body or whether it is in whatever we are doing outside, building a house or, or whatever, no? is always a matter of giving everything its proper place. Like, you know, we have so many desires. 
These desires, they all somewhat or other originate with the elements. Because the elements produce certain attachments. Like, you know, the basic desire of the first chakra is the desire for security of this body. And the creation of this body is based on the earth element because it's the only element which has a particular shape. So then we attach importance to this shape and we want to protect it and we want to feed it and we want people to respect it and, and so on. And so from there so many desires come. But if the earth element in us gets its proper place, which also means we are properly taking care of it, then that desire will be much less. Then the earth element will say, oh, here everything is okay. And so not so much unpleasantness will come from there. So in that way, working with the element of space and all the elements that are contained within it is quite a complicated matter, no? where then, okay, yoga involves also some understanding of Ayurveda, some understanding of how the elements in our body can be balanced or can go out of balance and what the impact is there. As I said before, no, if our body is very much in support of anger, then it will be much more difficult to get rid of any anger. No? Uh, but okay, that also offers the opportunity to cool down the body, to work with the body in such a way that it is not so much supporting the anger. No? So in that way, lots of practices are related to that. And I would say also uh, those that relate to other dimensions, which are actually also, again, manifestations of that same space uh, element, other spiritual dimensions, which also affect us to some degree, that also belongs to working with the element of, of space. You know? So all, again, then needed to bring us back to that identification with our void beingness, with our most essential beingness, Allowing us to detach from the physical body, allowing us to detach from other manifestations of the elements and of space inside of us. You know? Bringing us to a point where it's easy to say, okay, this belonged to me, but now it is going. Let's, you know, see what's next <laughs> and not uh, grasp for it, not try to hold on to it. No, let it go. No? which finally also in death no, we have to let go no, of the body and see what, what is next. No? This is all actually related there to how we deal with the element of, of space. And yeah, it's, it's very practical in a way. No? Let's say uh, you hurt your big toe. No? Then how to meditate? No? First you take care of your toe. <laughs> you put some balm on it, you put some bandage on it, something, no? so that it feels reasonably good and then you'll be able to meditate. No? Then you'll be able to detach from it. If it's still hurting, if it's still bleeding, how are you going to do it? No? So then naturally you start working with the space and with all the elements and uh, that way create there, I would say on a very material level, also a kind of balance, a kind of peace a kind of yeah, good feeling that then so much more easily brings about also the feeling of the self whenever then again, okay, we focus our awareness on the awareness and uh, uh, stop getting, you know, too much involved also, of course, with whatever goes wrong in space <laughs> because many things can go wrong. Also. So, um, and 
then, yeah, last but definitely not least here is then Ananda, as I said, no? the timelessness, the eternal now, giving the manifestation of time and of life, and in that way being mostly a game of prana. And the, uh, yeah, particular nature of prana is certainly that it always changes all the time. It can never sit still, let's say. It is eternal in fluctuation, and in that way it also creates so many different kinds of aspects and energies with which somehow or other we have to learn how to work. You know? So then, okay, in pranayama we can learn many things. We can learn to stop the breath. No? Breath retention is a great way to control mind and make it more easy to stop thinking and you know experience the silence of the self. Uh, but, okay, many other things are there. The way the prana vibrates inside of us is very important. The way it moves inside of us is very important. The way we store that prana inside of us so that we can have some of it for later use is also very important. There is this basic solar-lunar polarity of prana which is very important to work with and which can produce in us that neutral energy that is um, called the sushumna energy that is mostly you know, useful whenever we want to meditate, whenever we want to stop, whenever we want to be calm. Uh, so, but that is very dependent on, on how we deal with solar and lunar energies in ourselves, in our thinking, in our emotions and all that. And then there's also, of course, the famous Kundalini energy, which is, I would say, the most essential uh, energy that, that we can find in the whole game of prana and which is very directly related also to the self and to our pure consciousness. You know? So then also working with that becomes part of, of the game. And this game of working with the prana always is there to very then directly, very immediately, I would say, bring in us a blissful feeling, you know? bring us back to the ananda of the self. Many things can be done quite simply with breath and a number of other techniques um, to at least bring us temporarily back to the bliss of the self. Even if, okay, whatever subconscious blockage is still there and still going to bother us tomorrow, at least today we can calm it down. No? These are the things we were talking about. When you have heard all this, which I've been explaining now about the different aspects of the self and the seeds of the self and the practices that relate to them, then you can feel like, oh, but this is making the story of non-duality so much more difficult. We do not have to be afraid that this is all going to be a little bit too much. A lot of it you can handle actually by just adapting some good practices as habits. No? Like, for example, learning to cook properly is, in the beginning, yeah, it's quite a lot, actually. No? To cook really balanced food is, is quite a knowledge that you have to build. But once you have that knowledge, you know how to do it, you don't have to think about it anymore. No? And so, in many different ways, it's about healthy habits that you can um, develop. And then, aside of that, what you mostly need is one really strong energetic practice. Whether it is breath, 
whether it is a mantra, whether it is something else, it doesn't matter. But if you can, at some part of your energy, bring about a strong change, then it will change also everything else. And that is what this illustration actually is showing, that these three aspects of the self, they are always in interaction with each other. And this happens like continuously. You can say, uh, okay, originally from the Ananda comes the Prana, which creates the change and the whole manifestation. And that creates the sound no, of creation, the sound of Om or the Big Bang sound. And then this sound actually, also according to Western science, is then what makes the universe expand into space and also densify into the other elements. So that is the eternal play that is there between these three aspects of the self, which are one, as I said. That also means that when we start working with these things, that we affect all others. So if we work with sound, with mantra, for example, okay, there's one arrow going to the silence, meaning that it will generate inside of us more and more silence. But at the same time, it will also affect no, our attachment because it will reduce our emotion. And so in that way, it will also, no, from the void beingness of the self, again generate that power of pure space, no, which, which then no, makes it so much more easy to detach from whatever form is there and go more to, to the formless, which then in turn, again, no, will affect our feeling of bliss and uh, no, give us more energy and, and give us more uh, strength to overcome whatever unpleasantness is there. So in that way, if we can a little bit have a balanced life through some good habits, and then one energetic practice, this is very important, all traditions will agree there with me, if you have one energetic practice, that is the main thing. There may be some other things to learn. There may be even some other things to use at particular times to deal with particular problems. Okay, that may be needed. Maybe there you can also find help elsewhere, you know, like from a healer or a teacher. But if you have that one energetic practice, you will always be able to regenerate that feeling of the self inside of you. Because all these things, all these practices, they are all connected. And you only need to push, let's say, on one side to make all others change. So in that way, okay, it's maybe a little bit more work than just staying out of any attachment and any wrong identification. But it is also not a lot and it will make the whole thing, living non-duality, a lot more easy. No? All these yogic and tantric traditions, they did not emerge no, for fun. No? <laughs> Maybe a few. <laughs> but most of them, they really emerged because people inside of them discovered certain blockages, certain imbalances. And these practices then helped them to rebalance. No? And again, find the truth, find the self, find the bliss. Ah.